1: Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Good Old Podcast. I'm Jackie French for Wahoo's twenty four seven. As you can see, we have a special guest on the show today, Greg Medea from the Daily Progress. Greg, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Yeah, happy to do it, Jackie. That that time of year, it's getting it's getting closer and closer.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, before we start recording, we talk. You know, I, I spoke about putting my my son back in school today, first day of school for a lot of people in the Charlottesville area. Three counties in the area have started their school. so it it's one season when i see that book bag and i see that (laughs) lunchbox greg um greg we've been able to see um just under no actually just about one virginia has uh had six practices so far we've been able to see half of them three 20 minutes each what has been your main takeaway when you watch them
0: i I think first and foremost a lot. A lot of people like to talk about the expectations and, and the fact that they were they were picked last in the ACC. But you look at that defense, and if if there's a reason for for optimism, if you're a Virginia fan, I, I think it's that defense. I think that group is going to be pretty good again under John Rodzinski with that defensive line they've got coming back. They've got their four starters back on that D line, plus three key backups. I have four key backups. You know, that that group is very, very deep. I was looking at it between the four starters plus a couple of other guys to, to get to seven. Uh, when, when you factor in Paula Carey and, and Michael Diada uh, and, and Ben Smiley, they've got like 107 career starts back. Uh, you put those three plus the four returning starters on that D line. That's a good foundation for that unit. I know they lost Nick Jackson at linebacker, uh, but, but maybe they'll be okay there. Uh, with Ahern, uh, possibly with James Jackson and a few other guys contributing. Uh, And then you talk about that secondary, they've got some work to do there. Uh, But I think that unit's going to continue to grow under under John Rodzinski and and could could provide the Cavaliers and keep them in uh, a lot of games.
1: Yeah. And if you're uh, watching us on YouTube, you're going to be seeing some fall, footage, fall camp footage from the left for three practices as uh, Greg and I discussed. And yeah, though, you know, I always felt coming into the season that this D line was going to be the strength of this team when we saw it last year and just seeing all those guys coming back, we knew this was going to be such a, a veteran group and it was going to be proved dividends towards the end because they're going to have a nice rotation because they're going to have be able to stay fresh during the year, especially, you know, when you look at the season opener, when they have, a offense in Tennessee that plays that up-tempo and like to keep things quick. So that's really going to help a, the defensive guys to keep fresh like that. Um, You know, for for me, for the main takeaways, I, I agree with you as far as, you know, the defense, they look crisp in the D-line. Um, what I, you know, look at, into this, you know, we were seeing video uh, earlier about the running back room and just so much talent. You're seeing that talent in that running back room. And you're like, if they can get, a balanced offense, what they planned last year and get their passing game open, that running game can keep that offense on the field, which in turn will keep that defense French and, and make them even um, better. Um, and I'm looking at the O-line and I think this is the most, I guess, confident, or at least when you look at that O-line, there's still questions on it. We still haven't seen them play together, but because they've been the healthiest I've seen this O-line group since I've been covering this beat, it gives you a little bit more hope that during fall camp, they can play together and establish that chemistry early on. That was something that, you know, they haven't had. I know Bronco Mendenhall didn't have in that last first season. I was on the beat the last two years, the first year of Tony Elliott, the spring as well, but seeing all those guys healthy. I mean, Mikhail Bowley, I think only missed one practice. Um, and then he was back. So uh, seeing that and seeing even the new additions like Brian Brand- Stevens and Jimmy Chris, those guys coming in as well. So I, I seeing them and seeing their body transformations as well. It feels like they're they're more defined in, in their, I guess, in, after the summer workouts. Um, and also, I feel like practice is quicker. I know last year they were trying to get this quicker pace, but just the familiarity with the staff too. And it seems like the staff is, I, I don't want to say the staff is quicker because that's not quite what I'm trying to say. But it seems like the staff are all in the same page. And it wasn't like they were all learning from each other. Like, you know, even Tony Elliott mentioned, everyone was on the same page, special teams wise, which was something that, you know, they struggled over last year. Everyone, you know, when you look at them, it seems like they know each other's quirks. They understand each other. It's the things that you learn after the first year. So that definitely is, um, things that stood out to me when I, when I was watching, um, fall camp, the, the last few practices,
0: I was gonna say kind of along those lines is last Last August, and, and Tony mentioned it, uh, I think the first day of camp this year, is last August, players were dealing with class and training mm-hmm. camp. This year, they're not in class, and, and they're just concentrated on football. Uh, and they've been able to meet during the day and then go practice, uh, have a break, and then meet, and then practice. You know, it's, So there, there seems to be uh, – it's a fully football-concentrated August. Uh, for, for the Cavaliers, which is a big deal. You think about all the changes that the program went through uh, and, and experienced last year between uh, coaching change, changing offensive philosophy, changing defensive philosophy. Uh, I think that that's probably a big deal uh, that, that they weren't able to get that, you know, full day of football in August like most teams have around the country because they were balancing class uh, last year. This, this year, though, all football, all the time. And I think that's the, that's to their benefit.
1: Yeah. I still, I, I remember last year during fall camp uh, as we're, we're going in and uh, I, I see Daniel Sparks walk off the field and he's like, I got class. And, and I think that's something that, you know, this year you don't see that because they did. they Obviously the first year is about learning. You know, you got Tony Elliott coming in first time head coach, also not understanding the dynamics at UVA, what needs to be done. And then with having that under his belt, he can talk to them, say, okay, let's change the summer schedule. Let's have classes, summer A and summer B, like do a little bit things differently. And it, it does show they can meet with the coaches and, you know, instead of, you know, going to class, they're able to have meetings with the coaches. So that is definitely something that um, has certainly helped. And, you know, I touched on a little bit on the offensive line, Greg, but, you know, that is going to be the biggest story coming into this season. You know, how is this offensive line going to do protecting Tony Musket under center? Because that, is the pivotal question when you think of last year where Ben and Armstrong, a lot of his problems early on in the season was because he was the most pressured quarterback in college football, according to pro football focus.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt. I think the the one thing with, with that offensive line is, is, you know, not only are they, they healthier, like you, like you touched on, and you mentioned the new position coach, Terry Heffernan has a background philosophy wise that, that, probably fits more of what Tony Elliott and Des Kitching's want to do offensively uh with with their background and being more balanced more pro style uh than than the previous old line coach Garrett Tuget. And he, he did a good job building offensive lines under Bronco Mendenhall but i think there's there's a real understanding from Heffernan of of what Virginia wants to do on offense right he was at Stanford with David Shaw and the way they ran the football at times on uh, his tenure. And, and of course, before that in the NFL. Uh, so there's some understanding and even, even Paris Jones back, back at media day in Charlotte said, you know, he he was running through uh, reps in the spring and he, he would notice at times like, Oh man, that's what that hole is supposed to look like. That's what that offensive play is supposed to look like uh, because he said, you know, he just didn't see it last year because it wasn't there this time around uh, there, there. He said, there's more of an understanding from the old line because, Heffernan's brought a little bit something different. And I think that's something to watch moving forward. Of course, it's gonna it's gonna depend a, a big part on personnel and and how those how those players function together uh, with the newcomers, right? You got Uganda Nana in from Houston, Jimmy Kristin from Penn State, Brian Stevens in from Dayton plus some key returners, Mikhail Boley, of course, Ty Furnish, Noah Josie. Uh, you want to see how it all comes together. Uh, but I think the the old line coach and, and his background, May help a good bit uh, with that group. Still, ton of questions. They still got to prove it. They're still uh, they still haven't played together a lot, which is important for an o line. Uh, but I think he he can help maybe speed up that process because he knows uh, there there's there's no excuses and they've got to go out there and block people better than they did a year ago.
1: In the talk about Paris Jones and what he was saying during AC kickoff, the new energy that Heff brought to that group, Tony Must First practice, he said that there was a new energy that that those guys were one of the first ones in the weight rooms. Some of the last ones, they knew they were going to have a lot of questions coming into the season about them, and they were trying to make that work. That was something that both sets of offensive playmakers day, and as well as that first practice, were talking about how big of the changes they seen with the O line. And when you look at this group, you know, we talked about it during we haven't seen yet. We haven't seen much of, you know, 11 on 11 work. We, we don't see a lot in those roles. We're actually going to probably see a little bit of scrimmage crossing. Our- <laughs> um. So, but when you look. And, at- you know, you're going to tie furnish is one center, but then Brian's best FCS guards, according to Football focus, who trans. He's an option there at center. He could also go so you have McHale coming in at tackle a one guard position on the other side you got Noah Johnson then that you might be considered Charlie Patterson. are those some of the names that you're you're like when you're looking at that old line you're like these are the names you you're kind of projecting in that first group?
0: Yeah, I I would think so. It's 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 interesting. It, Uganda nana is kind of, kind of kind of one that stands out to me. Didn't play a ton at Houston, right? Didn't didn't start there, but came to Virginia. Was in, in was at UVA during the spring, uh, and, and got that first crack at, at left guard. And and Heffernan said, you know, he didn't let that job go uh, during the spring because of his work ethic and the way he performed. So he's a guy I, I would I would watch to see if he can continue that. Throughout this month and, and toward that first game against Tennessee, to see if he can hold on to that job, uh, and, and he's in the mix for for one of the spots on the interior. You mentioned Furnish and and Josie, uh, probably the others, along with Brian Stevens, who brings all that experience with him from from Dayton as a as an older guy. Of course, there's a jump there too, right? Uh, the defensive linemen are a little bit bigger uh, at this level than they are at, at the FCS level, where 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 Brian Stevens was at Dayton, a non scholarship program in a pioneer football league uh so there's there's a bit of a jump there but his experience should help him and you know i think the goal probably coming out is is they they want to have multiple players who who can who can fill some different positions and and so that they don't feel like they only have five or that there's a lack of depth you probably want to have four four players good enough to play the three interior spots and probably three or four good enough to play the tackle spots but i would think those names are the ones that 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 you would project as as players um who, who, who could see the field come come that first saturday uh in september
1: yeah uh hef was uh i asked him about the rotation he's like i, I don't I, you want to have a good deep rotation but if you only trust five guys you only trust five guys but he's going <laughs> to use the first couple games as yeah as, as opportunity for uh for some more early playing time. I think that's, he's like, if those are the games that you want to use so you can establish your five, but you're, he, he said, you're going to not, you're going to have injuries. That's the, that's how football is. You're going to have injuries. So he's hoping to have more, but he didn't want to give a number of the rotation. Um, half is a, as a guy that understands the power of words and you did not want to say too much about expectations, uh, setting forth before early this season. But, yeah. And then one thing, you know, we mentioned in the beginning of the episode how the D line was such a veteran group. I mean, how do you, you know, you get tested every day of practice with this O line, with such a veteran D line. And everyone has mentioned that. I mean, even talking to Chico Bennett and talking to Cam Butler, those guys are saying that they've seen the O line progress as well. And they're the guys who are going to grade these guys day in and day out. It's good to have that type of veteran leadership on that side of the ball to help Half kind of cement what he wants. And before we kind of go to the break, let's talk about the other group that had some questions. And this is the secondary. Um, You know, when we think about who they lost last year, Anthony Johnson and Fentrell Cypress, the yin and yang of the secondary. Now they do have veterans in that group. Um, Antonio Clara and Eunice Sanker at safety, of course, are some of the big returners. But you also have Lex Long who has moved from safety and is moved to a linebacker, so you're losing a veteran from that group. So when you think of he's taking wraps that linebacker, you're thinking, okay, so that's one less guy at safety. And you see a couple guys changing position, like Tavon Kyle is moved on to safety. You've got um, Micah Gaffney who's moved to safety. You've got Elijah Gaines who's now at safety as well. So the battle at corner you're seeing as Cohen King who's moved to corner. Um, you're seeing KeAndre Walker, a freshman who's been a, a name that we've heard. And even Tony Elliott has mentioned. And then you've got two um, transfers and Sam Westfall and Malcolm Green competing for one side of the corner. So it feels like they're really working on that versatility angle in the secondary, trying to get guys working in different posi- positions. But it seems what things that we had seen in the spring, like Tavon Kyle at the corner, is things that we're seeing the adjustment. They're seeing a potential in other positions with these guys so it's gonna be interesting who actually fields that first game
0: yeah that's 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 gonna be fascinating to see who runs out there especially at corner right because you, you have the idea that the Clary will be at safety Jonas Sanker will be at safety uh and then you know somebody will fill that third spot uh and then you you look at you you, you look at corner and and it could be any one of those four guys and I think probably Cohen King, has an inside track after talking to him earlier this week you, you kind of get the sense that uh, they moved him for a reason uh, he's played throughout the Virginia secondary in his career uh, right is there's probably not a spot in, in the secondary that he hasn't played uh, he said he was anticipating another year at safety but was asked a week uh, before spring football began if, if they could try him at corner uh, and, and it's it's stuck since for him uh, so I think he's He's one to watch. He said he's really had to change the way he conditions himself uh, this this past summer. Uh, he said he concentrated a lot more on, on getting his legs strong because cornerback takes so much more of a toll on your legs than safety does, he says. Uh, so he, he's learned how to adapt that way. And then he said he also spent a lot of time studying with Jerome Cox, uh, the defensive backs coach at Virginia. And trying to learn from him and pick up different things and and really learn the way he teaches the position because he said you know it was it goes the last time he played corner a couple of years ago uh he said you know it went from uh reading a children's book to basically reading the encyclopedia He said that was the <laughs> difference in in the level of of teaching uh that that he he was getting at the corner position that you know throughout the summer and during the spring." Uh, leading into this August training camp, so I, I think it's I think he's one to watch. Malcolm Green from Clemson, uh, and a former Highland Spring star, of course, and and then there's Sam Westfall, and then as you mentioned, the, the freshman Keandre Walker, uh, who could be in the mix there. Uh, that's the position where you need multiple bodies. Uh, Virginia had two All ACC corners last year, and and really relied on those two. Uh, but typically, when, when you see some some past offenses, especially week one against Tennessee and, and Joe Milton and some of the quarterbacks they'll face really throughout the year, Drake May at Carolina, Riley Leonard at Duke, some really, uh, Tulia tunga Bailoa at Maryland, you're going to need multiple corners to run out there and multiple guys you can trust to, to play that position.
1: Yeah, depth is always the king when it comes to football, and when you have a, a tough schedule like uh, Virginia has this year. So we're going to take a quick break. Um, on the on the way back, we're going to be talking about the quarterbacks, um, and what we've seen from the offense, and then we'll talk about freshmen that we think could see the field early, and then obviously we're going to take some Wahoo's twenty four seven questions, like I on our message board. So we'll be right back. The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats. We're back with our good old podcast. I'm Jackie Ferencule. That's Greg Medea. And we're talking about Virginia football's fall camp. And before the break, we touched on a lot of, you know, the offensive line. We touched on the secondary. So a lot of groups that had some turnovers. And now we're going to touch on a group that has, you know, a significant turnover in itself. And it's something we, we kind of expected to happen, but not so much quarterbacks you know obviously we we knew about Tony Musket in the spring he was he was you know expected to be QB1 although no college coach will actually admit that there's no competition in a group or name QB1 early on but Tony Musket was always going to be projected as QB1 Jay Wolfick not surprising but maybe surprising the timeline he decided to focus in on baseball rather than um, stay with football so that means you got a battle for QB2 um Anthony Colandrea a freshman you got greater bros yeah, roster house.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm learning
1: how yeah. to say that name. I have it. I'm, I'm got the romantic languages with Italian. So German is a little tougher for me. So you've got him competing, <laughs> competing there. You obviously got Delaney Crawford who, you know, is a, such a freak athlete that you just see him getting on the field at some point this year, or at least some way for Virginia. When you look at that room, Greg, you obviously expect them to add guys in the transport towards the end to kind of help with that depth, especially with Davis Lane moving to safety. But seeing Tony Musket out there and he threw some dimes out there when we saw him pass the ball in the last practice that was open to us. Anthony Colandrea has some moxie to him. But you know what? He, he even Brosterhouse, I was seeing him. He had throws a nice ball there as well. What are your thoughts in that quarterback room?
0: Yeah, I think I think first and, and foremost with Musket they're they're banking on the fact that he has experience in a very similar system at Mammoth and and good experience, right? 51 touchdowns to 16 interceptions over his 3 seasons with the Hawks. Uh, played played in some 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 tough environments, not not fan wise, but weather wise. Right, the the wind can whip there in West Long Branch, New Jersey, uh, <laughs> at Kessler Stadium, uh, where one side of the field has stands and and the other side is empty and wide open. If you can throw the ball through that, uh, you can probably throw it anywhere in the ACC. Uh, so I, I think they're banking on on Musket's experience, veteranness, uh, to to help them, even if he's making a jump. From the FCS to the FBS, in, in which it's a significant one, but but one he, one they think he can handle. And remember, Taylor Lamb saw him twice uh, when Lamb was at Gardner Webb as the OC, and Musket was on the other side of the field in the same conference um, at 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 Monmouth uh, when they were when they were battling in the Big South before Monmouth departed uh, for the Col- Colonial Athletic Association (CAA). Uh, so there's some there's some hope there that that he can be the guy. Uh, and then beyond Musket, uh, Calandria, I think, benefited from being there in the spring. Right. Uh, I think they'd probably be a little more nervous going into a year if he hadn't had the spring uh, to learn the system, get adjusted, get acclimated to college. Uh, and, and even Lamb and and a bunch of the players, too, have said, you know, if he's their backup quarterback going into the year, they feel totally comfortable with it because uh, he's he's proven himself. He's proven himself some to them during the spring. Uh, Brosterhouse, intriguing prospect. Right. Could have went to an FCS school uh, before deciding to come to UVA as a walk on. Uh, and then maybe that pays off for Virginia down the road. But uh, certainly somebody they, they probably could trust at some point uh, to play. I don't know if he's the number two guy yet. Uh, but but I think he can compete, uh, compete with Calandria uh, to, to do that. Uh, there's Jared Raymond also. I, I, I don't want to forget about him. Right. He's the older veteran, uh, experienced guy, should know the offense inside and out at this point, uh, the holder for the field goals. I don't know if you, you put him in, in a game, uh, but maybe if it came down to it, you needed a guy you could trust. If, if injuries were decimated, uh, you, you don't want to forget about him because he has he has some serious uh, years under his belt.
1: He also has, I mean, Jared Raymond is well-liked among the yeah. players too. So that's obviously something that when you consider as a coach, that's something that often is, is, um, and then forward, you're going to, you know, we talked about some new names during this podcast. We're talking about, you know, it's Anthony as a freshman to know there's other freshmen on this team that could factor in. You know, Cam Robinson is such an afflicted, gifted player, former four excitement around him. He's one that could possibly push for some. Aiden Gibson is another one. He wasn't playing in the last uh, practice. He was wearing a yellow bib, but he's a guy that has experience in the spring. And like we said earlier, Keandre Rocker has been rotating with the twos. He can be a factor in that corner position, especially William Simpkins still out. Um, at fall camp, he's expected to be back in the middle of August, and he should be competing for a slot at that corner position behind Cohen King. But Walker certainly making some noise there. Greg, which freshman are you most excited to see?
0: Yeah, I think it's the linebacker Robinson, right? I mean, from from everything Tony Elliott has said, uh, he can push both Josh Ayer. When I asked Elliott about can can Robinson push the older guys? Elliot's first answer was was at least athletically yes, right? <laughs> athletically he can push uh, Josh Ahern, James Jackson, Stevie Bracy, uh, Trey McDonald. Uh, but it's going to come down to whether or not he can he can pick up the playbook if if he'll earn some playing time. And I think in the meantime, while he's trying to learn the defense, get acclimated to the college game, you could probably see him on special teams. Right? If you're athletically uh, ready to play. Uh, as a linebacker, you, you can find a role for yourself on special teams, without a doubt. Running down on kickoff or punt, uh, covering and tackling—why uh, not? Right? Virginia needs more of those, you know, good athletes to to put out there on special teams. After uh, special teams were not were not a strong point for the Cavaliers uh, last year. Uh, I think also you mentioned Jaden Gibson. Uh, he 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 seems like he he picked he carried some momentum with him uh, from the spring into the summer. Uh, and and we'll be competing for for potentially uh contributing role on offense this coming fall. Des Kitchings wants about six wide receivers. Uh he probably could figure out two or three, right? Between Malachi Fields, D'Ameek Starling, Malik Washington, uh, as older guys who you'd expect to be in the mix. Uh maybe Jaden Gibson's not far behind them, right? Uh, based on what he did in the spring, catching a touchdown in the spring game and and giving them solid first team reps. So uh, those two would be the ones I'd particularly look at. I also thought it was surprising that Elliott had mentioned Cole Serber. Not not anything against Cole Serber, but just the offensive line in general, right? That's a very very difficult position uh, to pick up as a freshman. And Elliott said he's been very impressed with Serber, uh, another in-state recruit like Robinson, uh, who who who's started off on the right foot at at at, at UVA.
1: Yeah, no, a lot of freshmen flashing uh, during fall camp. Now, Greg, we asked our Wahoos 24-7 subscribers to send in a couple of questions for us. And uh, our first one's actually for you because you covered James Madison prior to yeah. coming on the Virginia Beat. So one of our subscribers wants to ask your thoughts on that first home opener with Virginia and JMU.
0: Yeah, that's that's not an easy game. That's not going to be an easy game for for Virginia. The The Dukes... The, From covering that program, the way they operate is they expect to win each and every Saturday. And even as an FCS team, I covered when they played a game at West Virginia. I covered them when they played a game at NC State. They took those teams wire to wire, and that was with a major scholarship deficiency. They're up to the full scholarship allotment at this point, uh, Kurt Signetti had said uh, back when I visited with them in the spring. Uh, And I, I thought, and I think because of some of the foundations they have in place in that program. Uh so it's why they were able to make uh, the jump so successfully from the FCS to the FBS. They bring back their five starting offensive linemen from last year, 118 career starts. They'll have on that offensive line experience wise. Uh, the big question for them is, is quarterback and wide receiver. Uh, they have veteran running backs, but they're breaking in a new quarterback and it'll either be the, the red shirt freshman Alonzo Barnett uh, or the transfer from Arizona, Jordan McLeod. Uh, so that that's really what where the question is for JMU? Can they get the quarterback play they've gotten under both Signetti and then even going back to Mike Houston's tenure uh, when they were winning at winning an FCS national championship and going uh, going to Frisco time and time again? Uh, can they get that consistency this year? Uh, they've had great quarterback play over the years from Brian Shore to Cole Johnson and and Ben Danucci uh, and then even last year with Todd Centeo, Uh You know, I think I think. Uh, I think you know that's that's the question. Can they get good quarterback play? Uh, and and they're gonna be they're gonna be eager for that game, right? It's a game that that program has wanted to play for a long time. Uh, JMU and UVA haven't met since 1983, and, and the Dukes have been waiting for it.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's going to be a loaded game, not only on the football field, but it's also sure. a UVA strong game too. So it's definitely an emotional game for uh, Virginia as well. Um, now moving forward, someone asked about any injuries. Now we've reported a lot of this on why house was 24 seven. So Xavier Brown is the, I think the most long-term injury we've heard four to six weeks. Um, a source tells us that he's likely going to get an X-ray around the four week mark to see a little bit more about that timeline and when he's expected back from a dislocated, um, elbow. Um, Donovan Johnson's the other one that we're, you know, expected possibly by mid-September. And then I think that's all. Most of the other guys are expected to be back at fall camp, Greg. So I think those are the uh, main injuries there. Um, Another question is talking about how we've, we've said that there's more buy-in either. We've said it from talking to players and coaches um, and that, you know, there's more fire to them, more energy. So someone's asking us, what is the differences? Why do we have this sense of optimism or why do players Mm -hmm. having this more sense of optimism? Do you want to take it first?
0: That's a really good question. Uh probably something we should ask Tony and, and the players, but uh <laughs> I, I, I will I will say this. I, I think it starts with with more buy-in probably from from some upperclassmen that that really want to do well for for what Tony and that staff is asking them to do and 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 sees the the vision, sees sees what's ahead and and how they can how they can make it work. Whereas last year you you you're talking about players who were I'm, I'm talking, you know, Brennan Armstrong, Keaton Thompson, Dontavian Wicks, the older experienced guys who had had a lot of success offensively, right? And what they were doing previously uh, in that air raid system under Robert and I and, and and throwing the ball all over the yard. They were exciting, uh, right? They were at a very exciting offense scoring touchdowns. They're probably thinking to themselves, you know, and this is just me talking now, uh, you know why, why? Why change what worked, right? And and there was some adjusting and and some major, uh, major things to to switch up for those guys. And and maybe there wasn't complete uh, buy-in. But now uh, with a quarterback that that understands the system, uh, with players returning who have been in it uh, for for a while, I, I think that's why you're seeing you're seeing the buy-in, right? You have more players uh, that that see the vision for it uh, and that haven't had the success that that those older guys did last year.
1: Yeah, I I kind of agree with you, too. And something that I've mentioned in our podcast, too, was the coaching change happened so differently than normal coaching changes that you usually cover. They didn't expect the coaching change. They were thrown off by the coaching change. And then you have a new guy coming in saying, we're going to change the culture, change what we're doing. And it's hard when you have something that for them was working. So you're, you're going to have two, you're going to have heads budding there because you're like, well, I liked what the other guy was doing. I was doing well there. You're coming in and saying he was wrong. So there's going to, it's natural human interaction there. There's going to have some issues of saying, I don't agree. And even Tony Elliott admitted to us. And during the spring game, I remember asking how that buy-in was working. He said there was one guy just had one foot in the water. He was trying to get them to be two feet in the water. It's always easier when you have success to get those two feet in the water. It just didn't click that way. This year, you have the coaches getting players that fit their system. When they went to the transporter, they got the quarterback that fit their system. They also went and got, you know, offensive linemen that could fit their system. They got play Malik Washington because they said that's a guy that would fit our. So theoretically, you see that because these guys either play the system, are the system, or the skill set to the system. So when they came over, they're more comfortable with how the practices are set up. What Tony Elliott also did was picked up guys that were familiar with him, with Malcolm Green and Kobe, Kobe Pace through the yeah. transfer portal. Those guys already knew, even though they're transfers, they already knew the expectation because guess what? They played with Tony Elliott when they were at Clemson. So they knew the Clemson way coming over. And that's also helped because those guys are going to be expected to play big roles. So there's not that little bump in the road where you expect, okay, there might be some time for assimilation. But no, they already expected it. So there's those little pieces there. And when you watch fall camp too, it's only a minor thing. But last year during spring and fall, you saw some, you know, guys like go one way in a drill and you're like, actually, no way I'm going this way in this drill this year. There's more of that. They understand the expectation. They know what's next. And you, you see them talking to coaches more because of their schedule with the summer. So those little things is the reason why you're saying that maybe this team can be a little better than last year. And honestly, whenever I talk about the schedule and need a three and a half at Vegas, I said, if you're, I would bet the over because of just how this season can potentially go for Virginia. So that's, so I think that's where the optimism comes from. Is there pieces are there that for this team. And when you talk to these players, the veterans now are more veterans that these guys recruited. Tony Musket is a default veteran, but he's their guy. So that's where most of the optimism comes from from. And I, I think um, another question. Yeah. I was going to say, I,
0: I think too, you can't understate how, how the tragedy has brought that team closer together. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, I mean, you, you, it's, gal, it's galvanized that, that locker room. And, yeah. you know, when, when Mike Holland says, says, you know, leads jumping jacks and is pushing the team, yep. you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's hard to, to, to see them not be inspired and play together. Right. Uh, he, he's an inspiration in himself and, and what they're doing. Uh, to, to come together, it's, it's so fascinating, right? because there's that that question of what should the expectation be to to, to, to make it so that you honor those three uh, who lost their lives last year. and, and Hollins you know said it's, it's practicing hard. It's playing hard. You know you don't probably don't want to measure it by wins and losses, but uh, you want you want to make sure you're together and you show up every single day uh, because there's that opportunity. And I think that that, that has brought the team closer together. Like Tony and that staff led them through. Uh, November and into the spring, uh, you know, admirable.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think it was Antonio Clary in the spring. Uh, when we talked to Mike Collins the first time and we were able to talk to the players for the first time after the tragedy, he said, if I'm tired, I look up and I see Mike Collins still grinding. I can't be tired. I mean that I have no yeah. excuse to be tired if Mike Collins is still working his, his butt off out there. So that that's a low, level of motivation that Mike has given to this program just seeing him out there um and performing i mean again i, I think he, he told us doctors didn't expect him to tie his own shoe within yeah. six months and look he within six months he was playing in the spring practice and now he's going full contact during fall camp so i i think the remarkable journey there says it all for how much this team is unified with that um now another question here moving forward is about Starling, um, how are the coaches yeah. feeling about Demeke Starling, his improvements, and how the how has his performance and track translated on the football field too. And it actually, Greg, I think Tony Ailey was asked about Starling uh, during his uh, post practice presser on Monday
0: yeah it's he's he's come along according to Elliot Elliot had, had said he's really put together a couple of practices in a row, which is something he didn't do during the spring uh, so that's encouraging and i th- I think the track component is helped back in May I wrote about starling's tracking and endeavors and and some of the things he was doing for for track and he said it was actually Lavelle Davis who the year before wanted him to come out for for track and tried to encourage him so he did it. Uh, to, to kind of honor Lavelle, but also uh, to, to kind of help himself because he was a track star in, in high school in Nashville. Uh, and and really, he, he he took to it. And Vin Lanana, the, the track coach uh, at Virginia, track and cross-country coach, for that matter, he had said, you know, Starling's work ethic was great. And that uh, Vin, wherever he's been, uh, you know, going back to his time at Stanford um, and, and Oregon, uh, always had great relationships with the football program and and thought, you know, if he could get sprinters, uh, and, and guys who, who want to run uh track from the football program he'd be happy to have them and he said you know Starling really took to it and improved and I think that's something to watch going forward and that maybe Starling's kind of kind of setting a setting a path uh, for, for the track and football program to work together because I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing right uh, if you can mm-hmm. you can gain some speed gain some knowledge about how to run and, and Starling said you know he's probably got better body control because of it and uh, and that's something to watch, you know, on kickoff returns or if he's running a go route trying to pass, the, trying to get past the corner. Uh, so I think that's something to watch and uh, maybe, carry, maybe carry some confidence with him because of it, too.
1: Yeah, I still remember that um, social media post of Virginia football did where Demique Starley and Delaney Crawford uh, raced <laughs> against each other. So I guess Damiq Starley is the default fastest guy on the field right now for Virginia. Final question, Greg, realignment rumors are certainly out there. You know, Florida State wanting to leave the ACC. You have the Pac-12 no longer being the Pac-12 and moving to different conferences. Are we just headed to two super conferences here? You know, we've been talking about it for the last year when it comes to Virginian realignment. And UVA as a program has a lot going for it between national championships and Olympic sports. They are highly regarded in the academics, um, AAU member when it comes to the Big Ten. And honestly, the big one here, they are a big TV market, a market that includes D.C. and Northern Virginia.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think I think the most revenue in the ACC, what, last year, the year before, too, just ahead of Florida State. Uh, so, so that that says quite a bit. Uh, but when, when I think, you know, what Virginia has done, you know, not only basketball wise, but but really across the board and it's it's other sports. The baseball program's excellent. you know, great college World Series appearances six times. The basketball team won, won a national championship a couple of years ago uh the 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 swimming is 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 off the charts good. The tennis is off the charts good uh, with national championships uh sure they're 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 an attractive team and I think when you think about the big ten and the SEC, if 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 those two leagues decided to to keep going and, and building these these super conferences. Which, which is what it looks like. It's, it's becoming right. Which one would would want to expand their footprint if if that's the way to go? Uh, you know, the Big Ten could expand it south with with Virginia and, and perhaps UNC, and, and the SEC could expand north. Uh, so, so that's that's what it would be, right? It'd be a fight. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out over the next, you know, however long it takes—two weeks or ten years. Uh, but uh, well, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. But, but Virginia's in an interesting spot, right? Uh, trying to figure out what's what's next in the world of college athletics. And and even for my time covering James Madison and really being close, close to what what transpired there from their move from the FCS to the FBS or from the CAA to the Sunbelt. You know, sometimes it, it's twists and turns and, and crazy things can happen uh, and it can happen really, really fast or can take some time depending on what it is.
1: Yeah, it'll definitely be a, a, a long few years. I want to say I don't think this is going to happen uh, relatively <laughs> quickly. Although the Pac-12 would have liked not happen in that.
0: Uh,
1: um, right. I mean, it's oh, it will be. It's Pac-4, but it could be the Pac-2. I mean, it's it's, it's going to be crazy.
0: I- you know it, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see what happens because like you know you can't really see Stanford and and Cal out in the Mountain West and and right and you, you think about the ACC looking at those schools it'll be it'll be fascinating.
1: Yeah, and then you think, you know, the you know women's soccer having to travel to the West Coast or softball baseball having to go to the West Coast one game, come here and do classes, then they have to go all the way to Syracuse the next game. I mean, it's. It's tough. I mean, that's, that's something that they, they need to uh, reevaluate that yes. whole student athlete thing. If you start saying like, Oh, you got to go to the West coast and East coast. Well, I thought you said you were you no know, student first, and then you're having them going a lot of questions when it comes to this realignment. Greg.
0: Right? Yeah, for, for sure. T- tons of questions. And, and to, uh, you know, you when you can think about, you know, if, if you think about the ACC thinking about Cal and Stanford, it's, it's probably to get that extra TV window, right, late at night, and and have another time slot to 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 give to ESPN or whoever uh, to, to to show the games. But you have to figure is, is it all is that worth ever everything else? The, all the other headaches that, that come along with it. Uh, so I guess well, I guess we'll figure out what they think. You know, sooner or later.
1: Thanks, Greg, uh, for joining us on the show today. I really appreciate you being on the show.
0: Yeah, happy to do it anytime, Jackie.
1: And, of course, if you like what you're hearing, continue to subscribe to us on our podcast. You're available on Spotify and Apple. And, obviously, we're here on YouTube. So why don't you go like this video, like this channel, and click on the bell so you're notified whenever a new video is on there. And, of course, we'll continue our coverage of fall camp on Wahoos 24-7. So for Greg, I'm Jackie Franchuli. hope you guys have a great rest to your week